Today on Growth Culture, how do you incorporate the newest of revenue mentalities into the oldest of industries? I'm your host, Adam Connor, and that's the direction we take today with our guest, Matt Rosenberg. Matt's the chief revenue officer of Compass, which has played the role of pioneer in bringing an enterprise SaaS model to real estate. It's no secret the housing market is hot, red hot. Today, we explore that market and its potential as a double-edged sword. We peer into the eccentricities that make for a great sales leader, just as it might a great agent. And we learn within both what to prioritize along the way and what should be prioritized but is overlooked. This is Matt Rosenberg. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining me. How are you? Hey, Adam, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This world has exploded, at least since you joined Compass in 2018. Gosh, over the last year, it's been, there, there are a few things that have been harder than buying a house, except maybe uh, going to the grocery store and feeling safe. How's that journey been for you over the last three or four years? Before we start talking about your leadership of a team or putting it together, let's just talk about this industry because it seems to have exploded, maybe partially to your contributions. I, I'd love to hear. Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a really fantastic uh, four years at Compass thus far. Um, yeah, you know, obviously the real estate market has certainly heated up. It's been one of the busier markets that we've experienced, and so being on the front lines of it, helping to build Compass through all of the growth, both in the real estate market as well as within Compass, has been certainly an exciting exciting journey thus far. I have seen Compass signs all over the place, but. I know that it's more than just those signs in the ground that make you all great. And actually, that's where I want to go, because on the show, at least so far, most of the time, I'm talking to a chief revenue officer who is just in your typical tech titan. But this industry, this industry specifically, which I would say is maybe one of the first industries ever, has not had the tech acceleration that others have had until Compass and those like it came along, applying a SaaS mentality to the industry. First question I want to ask there is, well, why did it take so long to do that? That's yeah, a great question. I, you know, <laughs> I wondered the same thing when I was looking at the opportunity. I mean, I think um, when you look around, it's rare to find as large a segment like real estate that hasn't yet adopted sort of modern practice or digitalization to the industry. And so, when I was thinking about Compass and studying Compass, it struck me that there was a hugely fragmented market um, marked by millions of entrepreneurs, small businesses in the form of real estate um, agents that were operating in the industry, providing a lot of value to their clients, but yet they weren't being given a lot of value from the brokerages to which they hang their license, their shingle, if you will. And so to me, it just created an incredible opportunity. And so the question you ask is, why did it take so long? I think fundamentally, the archaic structure of the real estate brokers didn't support the kind of investment that Compass was set up to support. And that, in large part, was due to, I think, the view that brokerages had of the real estate agent. And that was the real estate agent is a salesperson doing the bidding of the brokerage as opposed to the Compass perspective, which is the real estate agent is actually a small business owner, an entrepreneur, an operator. And the job of the brokerage is to build the infrastructure support and platform on which these agents and the brands that they build can run and operate their business. And with that sort of thesis, 
You then approach the talent you bring into the business. You then approach investment very differently. And so structurally, Compass was set up much more like a company that was building a system on which operators or entrepreneurs would operate. And that required a lot more capital. It required product and engineering. It required marketing services in a, in a very differentiated way because at the end of it, the customer that we support is the agent. And that was a very different thesis, I think, than existed in the market. And so we, we essentially turned the whole idea around and looked at it very differently from the standpoint of how do you support the people that run and operate real estate, which are the agents that own the inventory, the houses that are being bought and sold. And if you could essentially provide them with value, they would in turn come to Compass, they would grow their practice, and that growth would enable us to invest more, thus taking on more of the platform dynamics that you see in many of the successful companies today. So that was the plan four years ago when I joined, and we've been executing it at a high level since. Now, applying this new model to an industry that never had it, um, of course, bringing best practices along, was that something that was new for you too? Or had you had to do that earlier in your career at any point? Because I get it from an industry point of view, uh, always there's innovation and there's got to be a first mover somewhere. Was this a first move for you as a leader also? Um, no, I, my, my, um, what gets me excited um, when I think about opportunities are sort of the asymmetrical opportunities, the, the industries that are marked by sort of staid old analog processes, because I think those businesses are ripe for transformation. So prior to uh, coming to Compass, I worked at a company called Eventbrite. Um, I was very early in Eventbrite's evolution, but Eventbrite was going after the old paper ticket industry, right? You think about event going and all the digitalization that has subsequently been had in that industry. Um, and again, that was an industry marked by heavy fragmentation, um, you know, very small subscale players. And so that was a market with the thesis of if you can support the small business owner, the entrepreneur, the event creator in developing a better route to market, uh, you would win. And Eventbrite now is the largest um, platform for events in terms of event number um, in the world. So um, it's, it, this was not a, a new foray for me. And prior to that, um, I worked in a business where we were going after service revenue in a differentiated data-driven way helping the top you know, technology companies drive more service renewal contracts. So never been in the same industry twice, always bring a fresh perspective and a different go-to-market uh, to the businesses that I attach to, but ultimately looking for large opportunities marked by heavy fragmentation where there's really no dominant player. And uh, the, I think those create really interesting market opportunities for the business and, and for me, frankly. Well, then let's talk about that for you, because as you joined the company and as the company uh, made its first foray into real estate and any company making its first foray with this model, how did you build a team with those SaaS expectations in mind and having to grow in that way? I mean, that was what the business was, despite entering a market where the people that you were selling to or that let's, let's say small businesses you were selling to may not have seen that before in their day to day. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think um, that's kind of the fun part of, of solving the riddle of, of any new new business um, that's trying to do something that hasn't been done before. You know, the advice I, I always give uh, people thinking about attacking a new market is start with the customer, right? If you start with the customer in mind and you understand what are the problems that the customer has, 
Um, how big are those problems? And can you solve those problems in a way where the customer gets a lot of value from having those problems solved? Because when you're new and doing things in a new way, customers don't oftentimes understand they have a need for it because they've never seen it before. So you really have to spend time trying to get at what are the things that hold the customer back from being successful? You have to make sure that the solution, there's product market fit, that it actually solves the need. And then you have to essentially be able to figure out how to communicate the value of what you're doing to solve those needs back to the customer or they'll never buy it. And when doing something for the first time in a way that's never been done before, particularly in real estate where, you know, we're attracting the top real estate entrepreneurs and business owners, and they're doing just fine without Compass, right? So when we call them, they don't really see a need for us because they're, they built great businesses. It's only when really digging in and understanding what else can they be achieving if they had a solution like Compass, do you begin to unlock the opportunity for those agents, for those customers? And then when you do that, you essentially understand what do you need to do to sell to them? And that's where you start to build a sales methodology and rigor around it. That's where you start to capture data about what's working, what's not working. That's where you can start to experiment with messaging and different sales approaches. Um, and that's where you sort of start to build the infrastructure around it because you want to put guardrails on a process that allows you to scale. And once you figure that out, then you start to pour sales resources into the equation. That's when you start to scale out the team and you're constantly refining and tweaking based on what the data is telling you. So for us, and I think for anyone tackling a new market, start with the customer, identify the problem, make sure you can solve it, and then figure out a way that the customer understands the value that you're delivering and they're willing to pay for it. Because if you can do all those things, you could win in the market. But they're hard things to do, but you have to do them. And it's clear that you all have won, continue to do so uh, over these past four years. And as you solve the riddle, or rather maybe as, as you write new riddles for growing going forward, I'm curious for how you find those factors to prioritize for and to hammer home first. And maybe we can uh, look back to, to the last four years, but maybe just in general, I'm curious, what's been your first go-to priority here as you've built that team out? And then I'd also like to know what you have found to be an important factor that has often gone, or maybe in this case, has gone overlooked, something that maybe is taken for granted, but then is sort of like, an, oh, shoot, we didn't dot, dot, dot moment. What would you have to say about both of those? A go-to priority and then something that's maybe not focused on enough. Yeah, I think the, um, the go-to priority when sort of building the team, for us at least, and I think this generally holds for any sales model, is um, you have to find the right people always. Like you, you always want to be finding the right people with the right attributes to succeed in the sales model that you're building. Um, if you can identify those attributes and you have conviction in those attributes, then find those people and invest like hell in them. Invest in listening to them, invest in supporting them, invest in creating a safe space for them to experiment and to fail, right? That's when people are at their best because when you're making a new market where you're trying to do things that no one's ever done before, there is no right answer. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of here's the playbook, this is the play we're going to run. The play that gets run is the play that's dictated by the customer and the needs that they have. And so you need, for us at least, we need to hire people that were deeply curious, that were experimental, that were brave, that were willing to challenge sort of the old way of doing things, because that's what we as a business were doing. We were challenging the old ways of doing things. And if you could do all those things 
and invest in the talent that can pull that out, um, I think you can create a winning team. But you have to be really, really careful with the hires because they're ultimately representing the business, the brand, and they're essentially making the market for you. So that's sort of the the first go-to priority is the people and the investment in the people. The things that get overlooked along the way is, um, and this is just, I think, a trap that a lot of companies fall into, it's the data. You have to have the data. You have to see what's happening as you start to hire more and more people and people start to follow a process and a cadence. If you don't have the data to understand what's working and what's not working, it's really hard to improve. And, you know, the old adage is if, if you can't see it, you can't measure it, then you can't improve it holds true in, in any market. And certainly with Compass, like, you know, we're a very data driven business. We understand what works. We understand what doesn't work. We understand where and how to modify our business um, to ensure that we're delivering the most value back for our customers. And that ultimately leads to more winning. And, you know, that is how you build scale and that is how you build velocity in, in a sales motion. Those are the things that... Um, that we do, but I, I encourage everyone listening, don't overlook making sure you build the infrastructure to capture the data and the results. Otherwise, it's hard to improve. And I will come back to asking about those results in a second, specifically about pinpointing those people who will provide those results. But before I do that, I want to touch on something that I mentioned at the very top here, um, because as I had mentioned, as somebody who was and still is looking for a home for the first time, real estate has boomed over the last year or two. It's been a mass migration, at least if you read the media, that's what you'll see from cities to suburbs and house prices have gone up and so has rent. And my God, it seems harder than ever. I mean, I'm, I uh, have lived down in the DC area for quite some time where there was a house that had something like 100 and something bids and got, I don't know, sold for something like double the listing. I'm forgetting the exact headline there, but it was eye popping. Now that's great from an industry point of view. And if I'm a real estate agent, there's some data that I can't overlook, namely the number of commission checks that are coming into my bank account because I'm selling so much and for so high. For a real estate tech company that is building the infrastructure around those small businesses, around those agents, has this boom been a double-edged sword at all? I mean, has that growth made people overlook the need for this sort of operational efficiency that Compass provides? Has it made it harder to sell? And if so... How do you adapt to that? Because it's it's almost weird to think about a world in which, wow, the industry around me is booming. But because of that, you know, maybe I need to wait until a rep isn't doing so great to use me. Do you know what I'm saying? How, how do you address that? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good question, Adam. I think, um, you know, Compass is a interesting model in that it succeeds when the real estate market is very hot and it succeeds when the market cools. And I'll explain what I mean by that. The whole thesis of the business is we're essentially digitizing um, the agent workflow. We're giving a platform that unifies all the various components of the transaction for the agents. They can run and operate their business much more efficiently. Right now, an average agent, not a compass, will work across nine to 12 different systems, right? They're pulling data into one system, out of another, uploading, downloading, or they're just not using any technology at all, which is kind of wild to think we're in 2022 and you have all these small businesses running without the benefit of technology, right? The benefit of AI, the benefit of all the power of software that that we know is so important in today's world. Um, And so a Compass agent running on our system in a very hot real estate market essentially is 
spending time on higher value activities and less time on lower value activities, more time with their client. They have better analytics, better insights into how to put winning bids together for their clients, for properties. They're getting insight into which properties are coming due or coming onto the market sooner, and they're able to better compete to win those listings. And so in in a very hot market, um, what an agent wants more than anything else is time because they have no time. It's such a competitive market. They're working on bids. They're trying to find inventory. And so the company that unlocks the most valuable asset for an agent in a hot market time is the company that's going to add a lot of value back for the customer, for the agent. So in a hot market, you know, I think Compass really does um, help its agent, which is why we're seeing Compass agents in terms of transaction count per agent far outperform the market. When markets cool, like we're seeing right now, we're in a very hot market from a pricing standpoint, but there's no inventory. So Adam, if you're looking for a home, you may notice there are not many homes for sale, right? When there are not a lot of homes for sale and inventory or a listing for an agent is their business, that's their oxygen, you better have a solution that enables an agent to unlock inventory. And in a slower market where there's not a lot of inventory, a solution like Compass using AI will help an agent look through its sphere of influence, all of its contacts, and identify signal that says, this is a customer of yours or someone in your network that may be likely to sell this home in the next 12 months. And what's amazing is the data is coming back that 10% of those that we recommend are about to list a home do so and sell it within 12 months. So that's a stunning stat. That is the power of AI. That means in an environment like we're in now, where there's not a lot of inventory, the inventory actually exists within Compass Agents Network. We're just able to unlock it and allow them to see it before it comes to market so they can capture it and win that listing. So in a hot market, we enable agents to be more efficient and effective. In a cooler market where there's less inventory, we're able to help them unlock that inventory. So I hope that makes sense, Adam. But in both cases, um, I think Compass can succeed. Well, it does make sense now you think about it. And actually, yes, last year I saw plenty. Actually, I saw both. I saw plenty of inventory, but it was very expensive. Then, uh, yeah, inventory count cooled, but prices stayed up there. So now it's me being like almost more picky. Like before I had to pick up a lot if I had the cash. And now it's just like, God, I got I feel like I got to find the perfect thing. But it's good to know that you have a solution for both sides, though. It probably should be obvious to think that you had thought that scenario out and at the end of the day, doesn't matter what great engine you have, you need the right driver to drive the car. So here's what I want to talk about next. I want to talk about those team members that you've put in place and the things you look for that uh, indicate that they will succeed. I'm talking from a, from a sales perspective now as Compass grows. I almost liken it to real estate agents. You know, some of them are great because they know everybody. Some of them are great because they're great closers. Everybody's got their eccentricities that allow them to uh, win in certain niches and grow in certain ways. Sales reps are similar. I mean, there are some common traits, but sometimes there's that secret sauce. Based on what you've seen from superstars at Compass and beyond, what would you say are some eccentricities among uncommonly good sales reps and also sales leaders? Yeah. I think there are two that I'll point out. Um, number one, um, and I think this really goes uh, beyond Compass to any really extraordinary sales professional, um, you know, it, it's the skill of listening, 
right? There's a big difference between hearing and listening. And in, in our case, if you're able to ask the right questions and just stop and listen to the customer, they will map out the path to victory for them. Like you know, they will tell you what really matters to them. Now, can the person you know, listen and hear it in a way where they're able to action on it and solution against whatever the issue is that that agent, in our case, the customer is having, that separates good from great. You know, it's, it's really hard often for salespeople to stop and really listen to the customer, but the customer will tell you everything you need to know and path out and map out the path to winning that customer if you just slow down, ask the right questions and listen. So that that's number one. Number two, and it goes with listening, is this curiosity, the ability to continue to probe and go deeper and deeper, because sometimes customers don't express what their needs are. They, they can't express it in ways that um, they're actually intending. Sometimes asking the second or third level question to the customer will really root out exactly what the pain is they're trying to solve, because sometimes customers don't know that the pain is there or they can't articulate it in a way that they that, that makes sense to you, and it's the the curious seller that's able to keep probing to understand what exactly is it that's holding that customer back from success, or what exactly is the big challenge. To the extent you have someone curious enough to probe deep enough, and then can hear the response, they will win more often than they will lose because they will solve the challenge or pain that is so particular to that customer that can be solved in a way that allows you to add value to their, to their business and, their, and or their life. So those are the two things. I think it really comes down to listening and, and the curiosity. Yeah, I like that curiosity part, not only as an interviewer, but that's what I learned. I mean, I started my career in tech sales. And even back then, I don't know if it was a mentor or maybe it was a great interviewer doing an interview that I saw where they had said something like, always look for the question or two behind the question. And if you do that, normally you'll get to that root instead of whatever proximal, um, sometimes excuse, sometimes explanation, sometimes shrug off you get. So that's a good thing to know. And, and of course, yes, listening too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, there's, you know, if, uh, you ever hang around a three or four year old, I mean, they're the most challenging people to hang around with because they ask the very simple question, why? And, you know, when you're asked why over and over again, it really pushes you to explain things. And this, the seller that can really push and say, well, why is that? Why, why is that the issue? You're able to uncover a lot more than just simply asking the question. Can I dive into that for just one moment? Because I've heard that so many times. And I think that's like a famous psychological exercise, too, even with the simplest of things. Well, why do you do that? But why? But why? But why? And you keep going until you just can't get to a more core response. And Perhaps I'll ask this selfishly because I attempted this once or twice in, you know, in my years as a tech sales rep and I, you know, I, I do a little bit of sales work today. I want to toe the line between asking why, why, why again and getting a response from a prospect or someone akin to a response that a child might receive, you know, that because I said so. How do you thoughtfully toe the line and get there without, frankly, pissing off the person you're talking to who might get annoyed? Yeah, I think you get one why, and then you got to figure out a different way to phrase it. So for example, why is that? And then the next question would be, that's interesting. Tell me more about it. Or I'm curious, when you think about it that way, you know, you could, you could lead into the same why question different ways, but while still probing deeper and deeper. Um, I, I think you really, you can't keep saying why, 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 that, that would be offensive. 
But I think the, the concept of why, the concept of really pushing the person to explain it in more detail, coming from a sense of genuine curiosity. Well, I understand that you said that, but help me understand why that's important to you. So you said it's important to you. Let me understand, is it because of this or that? Oh, it's because of that. Why is that the case that it's so? You know, you can, you can keep probing in a way that keeps going deeper and further without repeating the why, but essentially getting to that place of depth where you have to get to to really understand what that customer is asking for. Because oftentimes the customer doesn't know what they're asking for. They know they have an issue. They've never thought about solving it a certain way. And it's only upon that level of depth of probing do they actually realize it. And you got to align with the customer on it because if there's no alignment, you're never going to get to the solve. But you can almost see it when the customer is finally able to articulate it. There's like that eureka moment, that moment of relief of like, yes, that is my problem. Thank you for helping identify it with me. Now, if you can solve this one, we'll win together. Like that's the moment that, that you're ultimately striving for. Yeah, I often found that coming from a position of wanting help rather than seeking like a, a an exact reason for something has worked for me. And again, that comes down to that that curiosity as well, as long as you, of course, go back to step one and listen to. Um, I'm going to listen once more to you here because I, I want to round out by talking uh, broadly about what you think world-class teams that that grow well will, how they'll look going forward, of course, this being growth culture. Um, let's assume first that with real estate, that's going to be compass for a little while. What other industries, maybe legacy industries, maybe industries that have lasted nearly as long as real estate, where do you see the SaaS model disrupting next? Because it looks like you've been able to bring asymmetrical thinking to events. Of course, you've done it here with real estate. What else exists out there? Like, what should the next Matt Rosenberg, what industry should they go after? Yeah, I think, um, well, Adam, I, I wish you well in your real estate buying journey. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I hope I find one too. And you will, and it'll be the right home, and it'll it'll work out in the end, and all the frustration of trying to find a home in this market will be will be rewarded. But what I will tell you is, when you embark on that process, you will find that the real estate market is still that legacy business that needs more disruption. And, and what I mean by that is, um, I think we're just scratching the surface. Like we're, we're really becoming the platform or system on which real estate agents operate today. But when you get into the mortgage process, you get into the title process, you get into the escrow process, you get into the moving process, you get into the inspection process, you get into, I mean, there are so many components of this real estate transaction which are so disjointed and archaic. I mean, just the simple amount of paper that gets produced um, that needs to be notarized to close a transaction, it is absurd. And I, I really think like the company, and I think it starts with Compass building the operating system that agents operate on. But then if you could unify all those different components of the real estate transaction and modernize those on a platform, I think then it leads to a much, much better customer experience. And by the way, the mortgage industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry. The title, the escrow industries are massive. And these are all massive, massive industries associated with real estate. So I'd stick here in terms of areas for uh, disruption as the next big area for disruption, because I, I do think um, there are plenty of opportunities within real estate, which is the largest asset class in the United States uh, for disruption. Well, I uh, thank you for the, the kind words and, and also to your looks ahead in, in this world. Yeah, it's always interesting to learn, you know, where 
that next disruption could happen. And of course, so many components along the way. We could do a whole nother half hour talking about technologies that might disrupt now. But hearing a lot about blockchain, they're actually smart contracts, that kind of thing. Who knows? Don't want to peer into that just yet. That's a whole different crystal ball. But for telling me more about this world now and showing me the true north of Compass, if you haven't heard that a hundred times, uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Well, thank you, Adam. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning in today. To hear more conversations just like the one we just had with Matt, head on over to wherever you get your podcasts and just search Growth Culture. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review to let us know how you liked this one. To learn more about Dedicated.ai and our other events, visit us at our website by the same name or send us an email, jl at Dedicated.ai. We'd love to hear from you about what you'd love to hear from us. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Connor, signing off.